Hello, I'm Max Temkin. And I'm Patrick Klepek. And this is episode 12 of Rewatch Podcast. Uh, what are we doing? Hearts and Minds. Yeah. Is that right? Hearts and Minds. It's a who's episode, is it? Yeah, so let's see. They're <laughs> on the island. <laughs> There's a plane. They rebooted this show, right? Yeah, one of them's a doctor, but now yeah. he's a robot. And I don't, know, I don't know why there's a smoke monster. It's all an alternate timeline. <sighs> uh, so uh, we have not done this podcast. In, is it January? Uh, it's January. It's to, oh, <laughs> what what world over, is this? We yeah. have rolled over to 2015. Yeah, we did it. Um, but uh, we, uh, got, we got you guys. Yeah. <laughs> You're still subscribing? Thank you. That's the, uh, that's the motto of uh, season seven of Lost, I think, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so basically, uh, we really dropped the ball on the podcast, uh, but we got busy with uh, convention season. We had a couple big uh, life changes that we'll uh, talk about. Uh, but the let's maybe lead off with the good news here, which is uh, we're recording in our new studio. We sound amazing. Patrick, you sound so good. Oh, it's... it's Look at that. There are pop filters on the mics. Look at that radio. Oh. Look at that. It's like uh, it's a it's a such a such a beautiful radio voice. These, I love it. These mics just sound they make me feel far more professional than I actually They're good am. mics. They're really good mics. Very good mics. They've got shock mounts. They are. We're like there's we're in a room full of boxes. You just put in the soundproofing. Yeah, we got like a whole today? studio thing. Like th- yeah, it's been yesterday? going up this week. So this is the big this has been like the big project of the last uh, like six months of my life, which is uh, we moved uh, cards against humanity. Uh, to a new office in Chicago, and it's kind of this big co-working space. So Patrick's working with us, uh, a bunch of other like artists and comedians and uh, and cool people. Uh, it's not just an office. Like you you picked out where the outlets went. Like this is this was not just. I think sometimes you think when you go into a new office, it's just oh you just buy some furniture and whatever. It was like a big you, process. You did, were able to customize every little bit of this place, which sounds that sounds terrifying. It was a big I'm, process. It was like maybe I want to say it was maybe about two years of work. Um, so it was a big, it was a big, long project, uh, and it got super crazy towards the end, uh, which was for me, at least like the, probably the biggest contributing factor to, uh, just not having any time to, uh, to do the podcast. It's not like you paused Cards Against Humanity at the same time. Nope. When we <laughs> sent out, uh, we did our holiday bullshit to like a quarter million people. Uh, but, uh, everything is the same for you, right? No big changes or anything? I yeah, heard about no, anything. no, I just write about video games okay. and uh, get sad about it. So you, you should tell people about your, uh, your job change. Yeah. I mean, most people are, you know, there's a lot of crossover, but if you're unaware, uh, I was working for Giant Bomb for almost four years. Uh, and Giant then, Bomb is, um, it's a program games. about video games? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Um, on the internet, uh, at least for the, that's what they told me. Okay. Um, and, uh, I was working there for, yeah, almost four years, but then, uh, I decided to take a job over at Kotaku. Um, a senior reporter over there. I don't even know what that means. I just write about games. And uh, yeah, so it's kind of the same old thing. But uh, I've also got, you know, I'm starting up sort of a YouTube channel and some Twitch stuff, which is actually part of what's going to be going on over here. Because in addition to all this fancy audio equipment, there's also really expensive video equipment uh, that terrifies me when I, I mean, it's very, it's very nice. It also terrifies me. Uh, I, I may have gone a little crazy getting excited. Uh, our friend, uh, our friend, our friend Vinny, uh, gave me some, uh, uh quote unquote some, recommendations. It was, it was vaguely pornographic looking at the websites <laughs> for some of this video stuff. It's like all shiny. And like, I was like, I could just click this button and have it and then we'll have it. And then you did it. Now I don't know what any of it does. No, yeah. The, yeah, we, you bought a bunch of expensive stuff to people that don't know how to use it. Essentially, Vinny sent me. He literally sent me a picture where he's like, "You plug this thing into this thing, and then this comes on." <laughs> we'll have to in the show notes. You should you should take a photo of. So originally, back before that, you guys had even like 
started construction on this office, Vinny came through and uh, they were just starting to clear like sort of rubble and some other stuff out of the the because you guys bought two buildings mm-hmm. and then knocked yeah, down the wall we went, for bre- we went for breakfast yeah that was yeah. fun we got that when, uh we ate that duck bacon it was really good it was weird as when he was moving to new york so it was a little while back and so we were telling him kind of what our vision was and then he sketched out like well here's how you guys should set it up and then you drew up a 2.0 version of that now that there's actually an office to yeah there's like <laughs> to model Vinny it around like designed a little set and the whole thing so Came out, we put tape on the ground. Yeah. It's weird to remember that day. Yeah. Knowing that we're standing on the stuff where we put tape on the ground six months ago. It's cool. It's very, uh, that's like probably the most satisfying part of doing the office versus like other kinds of uh, design that I've done in the past is like, it's very real. Like I can, I can touch it. Like I'm sitting in the chair that we picked versus yeah. just like, hey, there it is on the computer screen. It's like that wall's there because I said, put it there. <laughs> and then the architects who knew what they were doing actually figured out how to make it happen. But, uh, but yeah. you can point. Um, so basically, uh, this is all by way of, uh, introduction, uh, to the, uh, Hearts and Minds episode that we actually recorded back in September, but didn't have time to, uh, edit and put out. Um, so we'll play that. And this was, uh, back, uh, a couple months ago was the, a- actual official 10 year anniversary of loss. So I think we talk a lot in the episode, we're talking about some articles that came out. Uh, we're reviewing some articles and talking about the, uh, the one, the one decade anniversary of the, uh, the pilot of Lost. Um, Hopefully this still stands up. I hope we weren't like speculating about like an Apple announcement that happened or something like. No, I heard it's going to be a the, watch. The highlight, <laughs> hi, the highlights of the rewatch podcast. So yeah. Let's talk about the watch. Yeah. Uh, that didn't make the cut, by the way. Oh, you cut that out. Oh, oh great. Wait. There was one podcast where it was like we were recording the night before the Apple thing, and Patrick and I were like, <laughs> "What if we did like a tech show? We should just do it, and we'll see what it comes out like." And then I went to listen to it uh, as I was editing, and it was just we were so clueless. We we're just like. I bet it's going to be a watch. Like, that'd be so sick if it was a watch. <laughs> Insight and analysis from your lost commentator 10 years later. Yeah. Talk about watches. Uh, but uh, I think the episode will hold up, hopefully. And, uh, um, yeah, so the good news is I think we should be back to our weekly schedule. We'll, well I'm back working in the office. You know, one of the, the, you know, the things yeah, at the true. previous Cards office was that I do a lot of interviews, and uh, there were not places to do interviews. So I ended up working from home a lot more, and then you got really busy, and it's just – Sort of fell apart, but now uh, you know I'm coming in uh, pretty regularly again because I can kind of get everything we've, done. We have little journalistic cubbies for you, you to do. go to. Yeah, there, you do this interview is a nice people. place. You can shut a door, hook a mic to it. So it's uh, yeah, it's awesome. So it should get us back on track, and then uh, you know it's gonna be good. Do you want You should plug where your work is. Where can people find the things that you're writing now? Kotaku. dot com. Okay, and that's a website about video games. Yeah, occasionally. Cool. Okay. Uh, so enjoy uh, this episode of Rewatch Podcast, and we will see you guys next week. I'm Max Hemkin. And I'm Patrick Klepek. And this is episode 12 of Rewatch Podcast. Uh, and this week we're watching episode 12 of Lost Hearts and Minds, our, our first Boone episode. How are you doing, Patrick? I'm doing pretty good. What have you What have you been up to this week? 
Uh, I was in Seattle. Oh, yeah. What was that the whole trip about? Uh, Katie had a marathon. Oh. Uh, did wife, she win? Did you win a marathon? How does a marathon work? Uh, if you finish the marathon, I think you win, okay. considering that you are running for, for most people, four or five hours straight. That would seem like uh, if you just do it, you lose, but go on. Yeah, yeah, I th- yeah, I think for most people that would probably be the approach. This one, it was a trail run. It was a uh, beat the blurch. It's based on uh, oh the oatmeal. The oatmeal was he there? The oatmeal comic. Uh, yeah, he Did was there meet- signing. Matt's, Matt's a great dude. Did you meet him? There was an extraordinarily long line of people after they were. So you finish the race, and then there's a line where like he'll chat with you and, and sign some stuff and, and things like that. They it was so popular that they had to split the race into two days. So they opened up a whole other day for people to to run, but. Um, it was a trail run, which is like it's already hard to run twenty six miles, but then it's like you're doing it on a trail and gravel miles. Yeah, I think it's twenty six. Okay, twenty six point two. I think that's right. It's a lot. I I run a lot, and I could not do that. I don't know. Uh, what is your what's your running situation? How much do you I run? run uh, I like to say three times a week, but it's usually two times a week. Um, uh, four miles. No, wait. I really recently upped that. No, did I? Yeah, between four and four and a half. Okay, I run. I run no miles ever. I have like yeah. I have like trauma from when I was forced to run like a quarter mile oh, in, 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 in gym like class. Gym class. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not built for running. I have I have stubby little uh, dwarf legs, and I just it's not my thing at all. I am very good at running. I'm getting like I'm getting like woofed yeah, here. Like, up. I don't know what's happening. Like I'm hearing noises. Did you get that new phone? Uh, I was just delivered to my apartment. <laughs> so oh, you just got I just it. Let the like fe- I like buzzed in the FedEx guy to like drop it off inside my in my door. I had my first drop. You dropped it. It was traumatic. It was traumatic. And oh, you have it's, it. It's fine. That's a six. Yeah, I have it. Can I see yeah, it? It's a six. Yeah. So you it's went. Big. This is the plus. No. This is the one I got. Yeah, it's big. Ugh. You bend yeah. it. Can I try? Don't bend it. Try. I have Apple Care, but you're gonna have to pay it. Stop it. Stop I'm bending it. it just a little bit. No. Stop it. It's pretty rigid. Well, it's. I thought you were gonna say it was bendable. It's made of aluminum, so of course it's bendable. Big. It's all big. I had, but I had my, I had my first drop, which happens okay. with every device you get. I mean, I pay for the Apple Care, so fuck it. Who cares if I drop it? Like that's what it's there for. Okay. Like, and it's worth the hundred. Survived. Everything's fine. Did survived by trying anyway. to bend it just now. Exactly. I'm gonna go home and uh, try and bend my phone immediately. <laughs> I'm just, I have to do it. Okay. I'm sorry. We were if talking. You, did, you, were if you did that right. You were if you did that right now, you, they would they would immediately just give you a new one because they would feel so bad after all the news coverage they've gotten over something that's really dumb and only happened to nine people. Yeah, but also, I mean, it is a, it's an incredibly stupid story because it's like if you take any phone and you put all of your upper body did strength you know, into did bending you, did you it. you know if you hit something with a hammer, it breaks? Yeah, it's like, ah, okay. We don't even, this is like the dumbest. This is going to yep. date this episode so hard. This is like, can you believe that antenna gate thing where if you like touch the phone wrong? Uh, anyway. I'm sorry. We were ta- you were saying something interesting about running. So you run, you'll do how many? I, I, run, I run twice a week. Mm-hmm. I try to run. Th- I should run three times a week. Okay. I don't, but I sh- twice a week, four miles. I'm very good oh at my running. God, um, where do you where do you run? I know we don't want to disclose our our, our location. specific location. I just in my neighborhood. Okay, like I just I have a specific route, okay. and then uh, once every two weeks, I increase it by two blocks just to like slowly incrementally like get my distance out. Uh, I just I hate exercising, mm-hmm. but I'm good at running. Mm-hmm. And my family has a long history of health problems with like blood and and heart conditions, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. it always made. Once Katie started working out around four years ago, uh, just like when she was, you know, hitting the back end of your twenties, and it's like, oh, I, sh- I have to like think about like this stuff now. It huh. may seem to make sense that I just get on top of it ahead of time, as opposed to waiting till it's a problem. 
And so then now, now it's just become a habit where even though I don't like running, if I don't run for more than a week, I feel really weird. Like I feel incredibly odd. Huh. Like physically, you're, I as feel you're, like, As you're saying this, it sounds like very logical to me. Like, oh yeah, like I should really get into running. And then I'm looking out the window here and a guy just went jogging by and he was all like sweaty and gross. And I was like, oh, thank God I'm in here in this air conditioning. <laughs> like not sweating. Uh, yeah. what do you do? Do you, do you have like special running gear? Do you have, do you, you have special running shoes? Uh, I, well, yeah, you have to have like running shoes. Okay. Um, so I got my steel toed boots here. My, uh, yeah, not my good. Tims. Those would be not good. So Those would hurt your feet. Don't run in these. It would hurt your ankles. Very heavy. Uh, I listen to podcasts. That's how, where I listen to all my podcasts. I don't have a commute, right? So I, I work from home. My commute is from my bed to downstairs and then I eat lunch and then I come here, um, some days. So my commute is, if I come here, like a 11 minute walk. Uh, so I run and then my runs take me like 40 minutes and that's how I actually listen to like podcasts and stuff like that. So that's my, my special routine. Huh. Well, I desperately want to leave here and go get my new phone. Uh, I'm very excited. So it's the touch ID. Well, you've had a. Oh wait, do you do you use? I know my other. I've never had touch ID. You haven't. No. Did you have a passcode on your phone? Oh yeah, of course. I think I tried to. I think I tried to uh, uh, poop in you one time, and I couldn't get into your phone because uh, Mm -hmm. no passcode. So well, that's good. If you use a passcode, touch ID is super nice. nice. Oh, and the one password stuff with touch ID. Yeah, that's great. So I'm pro- so I've been using Chrome on my phone for a, l- a really long time because of the shared tabs. Mm, I like the shared tabs, but also um, uh, I can use. Uh, I think so. If, if I log into something on Chrome Mobile, if I'm logged into something on my other Chrome session, mm-hmm. it I can stay logged in, so I have to use one password less frequently. Mm. And now Safari has the built-in integration with one password, so you can like mm-hmm. log into you can like one password into sites right from Safari. So I guess mm. I'm going to move back to Safari. This is I think this is very interesting. I think this is probably why people listen to this program. Yeah. You think this is we why people listen to this going. program? Yeah, we should probably okay. talk about the Do you episode. use any devices when you run to like tell you how much you ran? Like a I Fitbit? do, do but it does. What, do you no, have RunKeeper? Uh, Nike RunKeeper? Run keeper. I use RunKeeper. You and Katie use it? She uses. She has like an actual Nike Plus because she has like oh, a training regimen. she like whoop you in Nike Fuel Points? Um, I'm a faster runner than I'm a I'm depending on the measurement, right? Like I'm a faster runner than her, mm-hmm. but she's she runs much further than But I just do. week to week your fuel points she would beat me. It wouldn't be fair. You'd be like going up like people who use stuff like that are not going are not basing their comparison against a marathon runner. Oh, okay. I mean if she's getting more fuel points, that's more fuel points. I mean, the, points <laughs> the fuel point the Nike fuel points don't lie. They tell no lies. I guess that's true. All right, let's see. If my uh, no cards here about uh, hearts and minds. Oh, no interview this week. Uh, our only guest is is the love between the two hosts of the program. Although we do have a new segment. We do. Yeah, we have the oh, true follow up follow-up segment. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Let's do follow up, segment. and then we'll talk yeah. about um, this episode of Lost uh, Hearts and Minds. Okay. Um, hearts and minds. Okay, I'm doing the first follow up. I'm claiming it. So. All right. For listeners of this program, you may remember the last week um, you read a trivia that said that uh, – what was the one last week? Uh, whatever the case may be, uh, that that was like weirdly one of the highest rated lost episodes yep. and we were kind of speculating. And I jokingly said, I wonder if in the promos for this episode they had Pantsless Kate and it was just a week of wall-to-wall <laughs> ads on ABC for Kate taking <laughs> off her pants. And then a bunch of people tuned into the episode because A, they were promoting the Kate Jack Sawyer – Love Triangle, which was very popular among the viewers of uh, Lost, but also just because they were showing Kate taking off her pants a lot. I did find 
the YouTube uh, link to the promo for this episode of Lost. And uh, I will leave it to you, the listener, to decide if uh, it's uh, 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 how much it's playing up uh, Kate taking off her pants. But uh, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. I'm watching it right now. It's a lot. Like the first five seconds are like several, several Kate taking off her pants shots. Yeah. So the other fun thing was uh, I did. I went back on the uh, as as we've been doing on uh, uh, on the old forums. I went back to the something awful TVIV forums, which is where where I was reading about Lost back in the day, just to see what uh, people were saying about whatever the case may be. And this was uh, this is the review of the episode from uh, Milkman. So reliable t- uh, TV review from Milkman. I'm I'm, I'm going to quote from his review. This mm-hmm. week's episode, whatever the case may be, is terrible. Completely uninteresting off-island story where we learn nothing about Kate that we didn't already know on the island. It's nothing but garbage fluff. The final reveal of what's in the briefcase is painfully bad. It belonged to the man I killed, maybe one of the worst lines in the series. Is that supposed to be shocking? The person who has appeared as nothing but a criminal is all in all the off-island flashbacks killed someone? Wow, what a revelation. And some extended screen time for the show's worst character, Shannon. This has to be considered in the pantheon of worst lost episodes <laughs> ever. So uh, I'm sure Mil- that's um, um, really uh, in-depth criticism from Milkman of that episode. But I'm sure that Milkman, uh, he or she really greatly enjoyed uh, this week's episode. Yeah, I'm sure if you like Shannon, then you're just you're like, well, give me more Shannon and add a little boon, and then... This is my favorite episode. The perfect cocktail of uh, of uh, uh, great lost characters. Um, hey, one one thing. Huh? I'm watching the end of this promo, okay. and all, it begins with reinforcing your theory uh-huh. of naked Kate uh-huh. or near naked Kate, but ends with uh, the fact that that episode appears to be partnered with the two hour season premiere of Alias. So I wonder. Oh, wait, it was the was season Alias. premiere of Alias. Two hour season premiere. Well, clearly, Alias was already right. Ongoing. Okay, I'm just trying to. Was Alias popular? I don't, I don't actually know. don't know. I get maybe did, it get, did people watch it? I have no idea. I don't know either. I mean, I know people who like who watch good TV watch Alias, but yeah. did yeah. the public watch it? I don't know. I don't know. Good question. Just yeah, uh, yeah. Theory. I mean, it was also, I think that it was either the last episode of Lost before a break or the first episode coming back from a break, so that might have helped. That makes sense because they would take all sorts of goddamn breaks. With yeah, that it was show. like a winter hiatus, and I think this was like the first episode coming back from the winter hiatus. Um, why don't you do the one from um, Fabio? Did you see this one? We got yeah. an email from. Well, I don't know what I don't know what he wants, but to see. So Fabio says wait, it's pronounced. Wait, so we get an email from this guy Fabio. I'm pasting his last name into the doc. Do you, see if you can. Is, he's he's the most Italian looking name I've ever heard in my life. Mm-hmm. Yep. Fabio Retroviato. It's really good that as he writes in... About how to pronounce... To make fun of puns for not for butchering Michael Giacchino's name. No, he put two Ks in there. So fa- no, that's what he, no, I, was, I don't know. I'm just reading what I see. Our, our friend, our Italian listener, Fabio Retroviato... Ricciochino. Ricciochino says it's pronounced. <laughs> oh, he's probably so mad, literally so mad at us right now. Uh, he says it's pronounced Giacchino, damn it. That was the whole email. Yep. Yep. So I don't know. Do we go with Fabio? I find it interesting that he. Uh, here's what I find the most interesting about this email is these days, most people write damn it as with two M's or it's, it's one word, D A A M N I T. He wrote damn. 
D-A-M-N, space, IT. Haven't seen that. But it's, it's, it's as if English is his second language and he knows a lot of things about <laughs> Italian, which makes him infinitely more trustworthy to me. I don't know. I think I'm going right. to go with – so I was a big Giacchino guy, but now I'm going to go Giacchino. It feels weird. Can we just ask I like it. our friend – Chris Hilton, Chris Hilton, who knows Michael Giacchino. Maybe, maybe, we'll have, maybe we'll have him on next week. That would be amazing. Okay. I think it's time. We know, okay, you know what, Fabio? This is how we're going to make amends. We are going to get Chris Hilton, who has worked with Michael Giacchino. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, if that's how I'll say it every time with Chris. So what was it like working with Michael Giacchino? <laughs> oh, God. It sounds like a fancy coffee. A, I'll have a grande Giacchino, please, with, uh, <laughs> with whipped cream. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got a tweet. Uh, from, I was uh, curious about this one from Giggles Grin on Twitter uh, that said, I'm listening to episode number four and wanted to say uh, the show Once Upon a Time also does the flashback like from Lost. Do you think they did it um, just as good? Have you seen Once Upon a Time? So I started watching Once Upon a Time because it uh, aired following Lost being over in which a lot of Lost core writing staff split off to obviously work on new projects. Mm-hmm. It's not as though the Lost team stuck together. And then made something new, as is often when a show comes to an end, they all kind of, they ride high and they go, you know, take off on passion projects. And so two of the main writers on, on Lost, who, whose names escaped me, unfortunately, uh, they went off to go work on uh, Once Upon a Time. So I gave it a, f- not a, f- I don't think not a full season, but a decent chunk. My wife uh, loves Disney stuff. And so basically Once Upon a Time was like taking a bunch of like Disney fables and like setting it in the real world and blah, 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 blah. And it's from like X writers. So that was enough of a recipe to give it a shot. But I cannot stand that show. I cannot, cannot stand that show at all. What, also, what's the, what's also, the, what's the basic idea? What is it? It's fairy tales. It, fairy tales, but they're stuck in like this, like midwestern town, and they're living. They don't know that they're like actually like Cinderella and stuff like that. I think, but then they slowly come to to know that like what oh, the characters sounds like it would they are wear thin so quickly. It did. Um, I'm trying to hold on. I'm trying to figure out who the main actress is in this show. There was also I had to convince my wife to let me watch this. So Jennifer Morrison mm-hmm. is in is the main actress in Once Upon a Time. She okay. went to, she went to my high school. Okay. And my wife was in drama. I think she worked on like costumes and stuff like that. And Jennifer Morrison was also in drama, but she was, you know, unsurprisingly an actress. She made fun of my wife some one time and made her feel real bad. So really? I'm, what was the I'm nature? Not, How did she I'm make not, fun of her? I, maybe one time I'll have her in and she explained the story. I can't remember the specifics of it. Okay. I didn't want to mess it up. Okay. Long and short of it was Jennifer Morrison made her feel real bad one day. How do you mean to Katie? And then, well, I think Jennifer Morrison was like a senior and Katie was like a freshman. So I think it might have been one of those things. But from there on, was not allowed to watch shows Jennifer Morrison. Couldn't watch House. That show for a little while was pretty good. Wait, who was she on House? Uh, she's one of the girls. I don't know. I couldn't, there's wa- like, I couldn't watch there's it. There's like two women on House. I couldn't watch it. What are you asking me for? What's her name? Jennifer, Jennifer Morrison. Allison Cameron. Oh, she's Cameron. Yeah. Cameron from House was mean to your wife? Yeah. She's from Chicago? She's from the suburbs? Yeah. Wait, you and Katie went to high school together? Yeah, Morrison attended South Middle School. That's where I went to school. Wait, were, did, you and, wait, from did Pos- you and Katie date in high school? No. You, but you knew each other? Yeah, because I'm oh, okay. really good friends with her brother. Got it. Uh, Morrison attended South Middle School, then graduated from Prospect High School. Also, I, were, I went to school. 
1997, where her parents worked. Yeah, Mr. Morrison was, I think he worked in band. She played clarinet in the school's marching band, sang the choir, and was a cheerleader for the school's pep squad. She attended Loyola University, Chicago, where she majored in theater and minor in English, graduated in 2000, studied at the Steppenwolf Theater Company before moving to L.A. to pursue a Korean film. I think her first movie was, like, the first major one. Oh, you know, in 2007, Morrison appeared as Kierce James in the computer game Command and Conquer 3 Tiberium Wars, a character who frequently interacts with the Did player you, Have the you noticed, like, liter- literally every time we, we look, we've ever looked up an actor in the history of this show, they, it turns out that they do voiceover <laughs> for video games? Seems like it's, it's almost like it's easy work and easy money. Uh, boy, now I'm going into, like, a house. I, I, I really like house. It's a big guilty pleasure show for me, but I, uh, I'm really going down a... Wait, she was Kirk's mother in the Star Trek reboot? Yeah, very briefly, for like 30 seconds. Interesting. During that, like, I'm, I'm going this, down the whole... sequence where you start crying in the middle of the first, like, five minutes of this Star Trek reboot. Yep. I'm going... Where Michael Giacchino's music is really great and emotional. Oh, he did that score? Yeah. Oh, the Star Trek score is fantastic. It's really good, yeah. Uh, interesting. I'm going down a house rabbit hole. All right, back to the podcast. <laughs> Let's return to the program. Let's return to the program. Uh, we can do like a. This is where you would insert like a flashback sound effect from the show to bring us back. Okay, let's do the last follow up. Uh, ben <laughs> says, "I'm French. I, I should just leave it at that. He just wanted to know he's French. I'm French, so I thought I could share with you some trivia about that French song from Rousseau's notes. The original song is La Mer, written by Charles Trenet. I go with Trenet. Trenet. I feel like and I, that sounded fancier." Trinette would be like the really American way to say that word, that name, I think. I you'd 19- order the sandwich at an Arby's. <laughs> I'll have a Trinette, please. <laughs> in 1946, it's a very popular song here. Bobby Darren covered it in 1960, or Darren, it's called Beyond the Sea in English. That's the version of the song that is popular in the U.S., the end credit to Finding Nemo, 2003. So yes, it was released. It's actually a new cover by Robbie Williams. Shannon pretends she knows the song from her days from being an au pair, au pair in France. It's an au pair. Um, I'm not really clear on this. It's like some babysitter from another country, but mm. it's legal. I don't know. With a kid that used to watch a movie all the right time. Write in, listeners. Write in if you know <laughs> anything about how au pairs work. This is not possible because even on the French dub of the movie, the song is still the English Robbie Williams version. There's no way she could have recognized the lyrics from there. By the way, another fun fact. In the French dub of Lost, Rousseau is German. She had to speak some foreign language somehow, which doesn't make any sense. But we're used to this kind of crap with the French dubs. <laughs> Isn't that great trivia? Oh, that's fantastic. Ben, good good work. A double whammy from Ben. Good. That la- you, brought, you brought your own trivia. Dang. Yeah. Really well done. Yeah. Um, and then uh, our news time for our news segment. This is the Drew follow-up Drew section. Follow up. Um, <laughs> um so last week we asked Drew. Drew is our listener who's listening to Lost for the first uh, – he's listening to our podcast and watching Lost for the first time. We asked him to write in and tell us what he thinks uh, Locke and Boone have found in the jungle. Um, and Drew writes in uh, – and if you remember last week, we had also put out the call to say uh, if, you, if anyone knows anything about how uh, bank robberies work because um, we saw that really hammy Kate uh, bank robbery and um, whatever the case may be. He said write in if you know anything about that. So. Great Drew follow-up this week, a, a banner week for Drew follow-up. Uh, Drew writes in to say, Sadly, I cannot tell you what I thought Locke and Boone found in the jungle because it was spoiled for me long before the duo had even begun exploring ah. together. I have to say, of the two or three things 
that I think the general public knows about Lost, mm-hmm. the, that spoiler is one of them. I think yeah. it's like we can you know, say it, we can say it now. Did they use the word? I think so. All right, let's just say it. It's the, the hatch. hatch. The yeah. hatch. They know it. All right. So I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I Locke think that. Ha- so here's my thing about. So speaking of those those Star Trek, because now you got me thinking about these the, the Star Trek reboot movies. I'm very, I'm curious to see what happens in because I know the third one is not, has actually just started production or something. So I yeah, didn't I mean, even know they were making a third one, but mm-hmm. I'm curious to see what they do with it because like. It seems like they're kind of working down the punch list of things that the general public knows about Star Trek and kind of calling them out one by one. So it's like, beam me up, Scotty, Klingons, uh, you know, phasers. Like, it's like there's not that much that the public consciousness knows from Star Trek, but they're right. kind of like, you know, Khan, obviously, they're like, Khan, that whole yeah. thing. Like, what else? What are the big? I mean, the uh, oh, I'm a, I'm a doctor, damn it, not a blank. Yeah, I was gonna uh, say as someone that doesn't really know a whole lot about, like, I didn't watch Star Trek, have never you've watched heard any those, Star Trek. Like, yeah, those, yeah, those are just in the like pop culture consciousness. Yeah, so I think the equivalent for that of Lost is like the you know they're in purgatory slash it's all a dream theory. Like that's a thing everyone is like you know whether they saw the show or not. They're like, didn't wasn't it like it was in a dream or they're in purgatory or something? Uh, then there was like. Um, oh, the hatch. I think the hatch is the big one. I yeah. think probably Locke is a is a breakout character. I think what? I, oh, and then the the, the thing with everyone well, being there's dis- a, well, dissatisfaction there, with the ending. Well, but but it doesn't surprise me that I've heard from. Uh, I think it was Drew that also wrote in before we had put a revised patch in for the the last interview we had, where one of the spoilers leaked through. He actually wrote in and said, "Oh, it's okay." That one got spoiled for me too, and so I'm not sure if he just has like a friend who's being a dick who's just like spoiling Lost for him all the time. Oh, so he put there was a little more in that. You can pull up this email. I edited the email down just a little bit. Um, you can you can actually hear the the whole story about it. All right, let's see. Um, and then there was another piece of Drew follow up. Do you want to do you want to do that? Yeah. In uh, in response to Patrick's query about bank robberies, they actually happened with an alarming frequency just six hours away from all your home base in Chicago. Down in Carbondale, Illinois, we have a good three or four bankeries in just a month's time. What? Secure, like, get them secure. I don't know. Okay. It happens. It happens. I guess. That's very frequent. As for how they're done, they aren't nearly as complicated or dramatic as Kate's heist. Usually a guy just walks up to the counter calmly and waves around a gun, real or fake, while asking for cash. They usually get caught within a day or two, so I'm not sure what they get out of it. I, I mean, like, my whole understanding of, like, how bank robberies work now is, like, the strategy banks have is like it used to be like there was all this security and banks made themselves hard to rob rob and now banks are like you know what it's easier if we just don't even put up a fight but we don't really keep anything at the bank that is and just give them that, what we have and yeah it's probably like, what, what are you gonna get like a couple thousand bucks and then you'll probably get caught it's like and let's avoid the violence and like the more security we have the more the people will just go crazy trying that makes to a lot of sense get through it so yeah i guess maybe that also maybe explains the frequency because if it's not that hard to pull off because banks have purposely scaled back on how they react that more people would be like oh well, i'll give it a shot because i just want to get some quick cash but then you're caught because it's 2014 and you cannot hide yeah we pretty much the cia can like analyze your gate from a satellite and find you from you know match it to like security cam footage so it's uh it's pretty hard to well that was an interesting do you remember when wired did that thing where the wired author tried to like get lost like he tried to hide yeah. and then all of america tried to find him 
So do you, if, do you remember there was a puzzle master who was organizing that whole thing and like mm-hmm. he, he was giving – so the writer was given tasks by a puzzle master that kind of gave, made it a fair game where the public – Had a chance. Like he couldn't just go hide under a bridge and never do anything. Right, exactly. He was like you have to go you know, eat at a restaurant and get the, and order this thing or I don't know what the things were. But it's stuff that like you have to go interact with the world to some degree. A little bit, yeah. He was given like tasks and then he tried to do them covertly, you know, using like burner cell phones and fake and, you know, cash cards and stuff. But the puzzle master who organized that whole thing was Mike Selinker, uh, huh. who we talked to a couple episodes back about uh, doing lost puzzles. Mike, get- as it turns out, Mike has done puzzles for everything. Yeah, they found him. They, they found got him. him. Like yeah. pretty quickly? Pretty quickly. Mm. Yeah. Uh, not immediately, but but pretty quickly. Um, okay. So let's do, I think the next thing we wanted to do, uh, in lieu of an interview, this was, uh, I guess this week was like officially the 10th anniversary of Lost. Yeah, I think it was. So that, tw- that probably pretty, maybe? pretty definitively answers what year Lost uh, came on the air. Yeah, remember our so. getting or, or not though, we could just, we could leave it up there. It's just one of the mysteries of the show never answered. Yeah, so 10 years ago today, it definitely premiered in 2003. Um, so, an old joke, it's a little joke. You should, you should, you should have let it go. You pointed um, out your joke too fast. All right. Well, people don't necessarily know when this episode airs. Well, I mean, uh, when people listen to this episode 100 years from now, and they're still <laughs> listening to our Lost discussions, uh, I mean, this program, I think it's going to help people uh, years from now get through, get through season one of Lost. So we, there, we might, let's, uh, should we allow ourselves to go into spoilers with this? Because I feel like some um, of the, the show... I, I sliced out all the spoilers. I, okay. I think maybe, yeah, I think we can abide by our normal okay. spoiler policy of, hint, right. of hinting at things without okay. being direct. Um, so there were a bunch of, um, pretty great lost kind of think pieces, like, you know, 10 years of lost type pieces. Um, we'll put all the ones we talk about in the show notes, but the, the three that we have kind of called out to talk about are, there was one by Andy Greenwald in Grantland, uh, that was excellent. Um, one by Jeff Jensen, um, uh, from, uh, Inside TV on Entertainment Weekly. And then one for, I'll let you do the last one. You can have the pleasure of pronouncing that name. <laughs> it's uh, one of the producers of Lost, Javier Grillo Marx. Marx Satch. Don't even Marksach. pretend like there's not a second part of that word. I was, why well, was it maybe part of it silent? I don't know. Marx <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you got it. You know, like, okay. So, he's, he's, and, yeah, he, he filed this for Apex Magazine. He's, he was one of the producers on Lost. Was kind of got one of the guys on the ground floor that was there from the beginning when they were breaking like the initial plotting for for Lost, generally speaking. Um, so I thought I would go through. We'll go through some of these. Um, I actually haven't read the Javier one, so you'll you'll have to set that one up. But the other two, uh, I thought I would just read a couple of quick excerpts from them, and we could just talk about them. Uh, you know, I think from from the point of view of like, what do we make of this show ten years later? I don't know. People probably know where we stand on it, but uh, these were there, there was some really nice writing about the show this week, and people trying to figure out like how to remember it. So I feel I feel like the the general run like through line of all three pieces were no one learned the right lessons from Lost. Yep, and we are still waiting for the show that took those lessons. Yep. Yeah. Also, f- pretty funny. Um, I'm just looking at my printouts here, and Entertainment Weekly and and uh, Grantland. Both use the same exact image on the like header of their articles. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's all Jack's eye. Yeah, just the first shot of the show, Jack's eye. Um, okay, so um, I'll read a couple excerpts from the Grantland one. So this is by Andy Greenwald, and you can find the link in the show notes. Um, so, and just jumping into the middle of it, um, uh, Andy writes, uh, but what lingers now about Lost is the attention and care given to the quieter scenes. This is about, he's talking about the pilot. 
Jack gazing into the impossibly blue Pacific just before the screaming of his fellow survivors reaches his ears. Charlie um, karaokeing his own hit song, a petrified cake counting to five. The brilliance of the series lay in these moments, the ellipses between the exclamation marks. Even his entire palm trees gave way to what sounded like a, gorilla, a Godzilla-sized taxi meter. The most intriguing aspects of Lost were right in front of us. Where did all these survivors come from? What was the deal with the angry Korean couple, the gentle giant, the creep with the citrus smile? I didn't just want to know where they were. I wanted to know who they were. It's a seemingly simple distinction, but it's one that TV producers have been getting wrong with staggering consistency ever since. I just thought that, for for me, that really cut to the heart of what's great about this first season of Lost is, like, it just really luxuriates in those, like, quiet moments and in, in getting to know these characters and really investing in them. And it's why I could, like, I think we can watch it 10 years later and still get so much out of each episode. Is like, we already know the answers to the questions that, you know, drive you crazy about it, but there's, there's so much more to the show. Those, you know, that meta mystery about the hatch or whatever is so secondary to the plot development and the, of, of each of these characters and what happened in their past and what happened on the end. Well, and, and that's, that's one of the points that's brought up in, in Javier's essay as well, in which, a lot of what he talks about is he calls it operational theme, which is the idea that like for a lot of these high concept shows, you need sort of this base level character motivation that is relatable and understandable. Like for example, like X-Files, really just a cop procedural show with two people with two different ideologies that happen to clash up against some really crazy things. On, on Lost, the operational theme is what would you do if you could reinvent yourself? And so – Every motivation of what comes out of the show is is based on this operational theme of these people on an island, none of them know each other. These flashbacks flashbacks inform who they were, but not necessarily what they are on the island. And then the 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 arc of the show is whether they live up to that promise of what they want to be or whether they slip back into who they've always been. And that's what allows them to get away with crazy monster in the jungle. It's what allows them to get away with a hatch. It's what allows them to get away with all the other crazy stuff that Lost got away with, X-Files got away with, because you have these characters with totally understandable motivations. Craziness can be all around them, but unless you have that base level relatability, none of it matters, and that's the thing that all the shows post-Lost did not understand fundamentally about why the show worked. It wasn't the island. It wasn't the plane crash. It wasn't the monsters. It was the characters that grounded everything, and then everything else was just fun. There's a there's a great quote about like like uh, the the difference between fiction, literary fiction, and genre fiction. So it's like something to the effect of literary fiction is ordinary uh, pe- people having um, extraordinary reactions to ordinary situations, and genre fiction is people having ordinary reactions to extraordinary situations. Mm. And Lost, I think it probably does fall into genre fiction. Like I think it is kind of a sci-fi show and you're seeing people have ordinary reactions to extraordinary situations. And in order, I mean, I think in order for that to be interesting, if you're going to see people having the same reaction you would to these extremely extraordinary situations, they, you've got to care about them. Like you have to know where they're coming from and why they're acting the way they are and what it means to them. Like, you know, it not well we can we'll get more into this, but like you know there was like twenty minutes in this episode of like Boone and Shannon like running through the jungle away from the monster, and that always falls so flat for me because i they're the characters who I care least about, so it's like I don't care when they're in peril like i'm I'm 
it, there's nothing there for me. It, it works like for the first scene or two, but then yeah. the seventh or eighth scene in which it drags out is you, you'd come to realize that it only works because you cared about the creature, not because the character is chasing the creature. Totally. Um, so let's see, still quoting from the, um, Andy Greenwald uh, article, uh, let's see, uh, over at Entertainment Weekly, critic Jeff Jensen gave into the vapors so entirely that he single-handedly changed my understanding of what a TV review could be, uh, and we'll, we'll hear, uh, uh, Jeff Jensen's, uh, review in, in a second, his, uh, sort of retrospective on Lost in a second, um, sure, Alan Septimal and others were already recapping, Jensen used each episode as a trampoline for his wildest theories and infectious, boundless enthusiasm. In his virtuosic morning-after ramblings, Doc Jensen wasn't just commenting on what the show was, he was delighting in all of the incredible things it could be. The truth is, lost diehards, and I count myself among them, would have never been satisfied with the show's ending no matter what form it took because it pulled the plug on our endless, joyous speculating. For being honest, none of us ever wanted to be found. I think that, like, to the folks that... And even uh, Andy gets into it in his piece that he he was not particularly happy about how it ended. But it that that quote cuts to you know Andy points out that he was not a huge fan of how the show ended. But I think he also in that line rightly criticizes even his own. You know this doesn't you know prevent the show f- from having faults. But he is right that at the end of the day there probably was nothing the show could have given us that would have made us truly happy. Even the folks that were let down, there may have been better ways to handle how it went about handling those, those answers and, and resolving uh, the larger questions of the show. But was there out there an answer or a set of answers that truly made people happy? Probably not because the fun of the show was the mystery. It was a show that really was about the journey and that the destination may, could have been better possibly, but the journey is what made it. And and I think he he nails it when he says you actually didn't want to be found, which, you know, that's how I felt the morning after you know the finale was, holy shit, you know, there's there's never going to be another one of these episodes, and that really, I, I felt me out. I felt that sadness the whole like last season of Lost. To be honest, I mean, I, there was such a sadness of like it coming to an end, just and, like a finality to it. Like yeah. it was just you know. Sometimes you get to the end of a season and then they're going to be like, all right, hey, we renewed it for another season, you know, and, but Lost was like, no, this is it. You know, I mean, they, you know, they titled the final episode The End because yeah. they, they, they wanted finality to it. And I think he's, he, yeah, he, I really, really liked that line. And also, yeah, if, if you really like what we're doing, go back and look up the archives for Doc Jensen's write-ups that he was doing for entertainment. You know, we, we should be pulling those up, I think. I we think should just link really, them every week. Or yeah. just, we should pull up his wild theories because yeah. there was no more... That was the first thing I did every morning after loss. Yep. Pull up his articles because his he went so off the deep end. Like he went as far as you could go. Like, you know, I love Alan Seppen while he's probably the smartest TV critic out there, but a lot of his stuff is sort of just like quick analysis of what happened in the episode alongside a recap. Jeff sort of recapped the episodes, but not really. It was mostly just about Let's talk about what the fuck happened and what this means. And just he just dove off the deep end in a way that was infectious. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I mean, part of, I mean, I would get so attached to some of his crazy theories and I'd be so sad when it was something more mundane yeah. than what he was thinking of. Um, all right, well, let me, let's get through a couple more quotes from this uh, Andy Greenwald one. And then we actually have the Doc Jensen, um, like, retrospective. But 
Um, so let's see. Andy's uh, next thing. He so the next piece of this article. There's a list of like six lessons um, that he learned from Lost. So I'll just go through a couple of them. So the first one is characters first, concept second. This would seem like a no-brainer, but then you remember flash forward that high concept, low IQ failure from 2009 was only one of a whole flock of series greenlit in Lost's wake. Nearly all of which fundamentally misunderstood the show's appeal. It was never about the island. It was always about the people. Yet again and again, the networks tried to reverse engineer a hit by coming up with some ludicrously unsustainable conceit. In Flash Forward, it involved a mass hallucination of a six-day month in the future. What? Okay. IRL, the show was canceled before even getting there and then attempting to fill it with compelling characters as if an audience could ever care about the fate of a world populated solely by cardboard cutouts. Uh, let's see. I, I want to say that, uh, yes, Charlie was in Flash Forward as well. Really? There, there was a, um, if you go and look through a lot of the post-loss shows, you'll see them populated by actors and actresses from Lost, um, you know, who are more or less, you know, picking up easy work and trying to maybe jump to the next high concept show. Um, and yeah, Charlie was, was definitely in Lost, or in Flash Forward. He was definitely in Lost. Charlie was definitely in Lost, but he was also in Flash Forward. Um, all right, lesson number four. Here's the beauty of the first hour of Lost. We catch a glimpse of every single major cast member. Oh, I'm sorry, the lesson is don't rush. So he says, in the pilot, we catch a glimpse of every single major cast member, but we really only meet three of them, Jack, Kate, and Charlie. That's it. Everyone else is forced to wait their turn. What a luxury it is to bask in the not knowing. And that's... That's so smart. Like, I love the way that uh, they're giving... And then, and then throughout the season, like, we've been talking about how some of our favorite scenes have to do with, like, that's not the A story. It's these little moments you get to spend with people, building up the curiosity, uh, you know, waiting for their, for their flashback story. And then the final lesson, number six, which this one, this one I really agree with, um, have fun. Dramatic TV in 2014 is nearly, without exception, punishingly grim. The goal of most series, from the ones I admire to the ones I dislike, appears to be the observation of humans at their absolute worst, broken people pushed to their breaking point and beyond. Lost, of course, begins with a catastrophe, a hideously violent plane crash that killed dozens, wounded more, and wrenched, people, wrenched more than 40 people away from their normal lives. But from that fire emerged the unmistakable and unkillable spark of life. As I've written many times over, suffering is only one part of the human experience. To deny the desire to laugh, even in the face of death, is to misrepresent a fundamental aspect of who we are. And so for every Jack angrily crying at the fate of his father, at his fate and the fate of his father, Lost gave us a Hurley, sweetly building a golf course to, lo- to lift people's spirits. So true. Like, Lost is so watchable and holds up, and I like, I, not only is it, is it watchable, but I want to go watch it because you f- keep finding those great little moments of comedy. The Hurley moment in this episode might, oh, might be one of the man, best Hurley when moments when in he's t- the trying show. trying to get Jin to pee on him, I died. <laughs> trying to grab his, he's like grabbing at his crotch, and that Jin's like, no, 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 no. Oh my god. <laughs> Loot, I, I, Laughing so hard as though I had never seen the scene before in my life because those are the moments that you forget about when you watch the show a second time. Like the things that stick out are the hatch or the others, like these other big character moments. But that those little bits that make the characters so relatable. Uh, well, I don't know. I've never asked someone to pee on me, but you know, I you know, I, you know, I, I could, I could, I guess I can see the scenario if Sea Urchin had if I'd stepped on one. Um. 
All right, let's see. Uh, why don't we jump to the Javier, Javier Grillo Marxach <laughs> article, Marxino um, article. Yeah, so, you know, I, I kind of touched on the general thesis statement that he makes. You know, obviously he worked on the show, so he has a bit of more understanding of what they were talking about. But I thought one of the uh, one of the bits that he brings up, uh, let me find it right here. Um where he talks about where they almost screwed up the yeah the operational theme of Lost obvious as it seems in retrospect did not become clear to the creative team until after the pilot had been shot and we were tasked to figure out exactly how the series would work in episode after episode we were very close to falling prey to the fallacy that makes for the downfall of most of the proposed serialized sci-fi pilots that came down the pike we were almost almost seduced by the shiny concept the mystery is the island from the smoke monster to the we almost focused on the mystery of the island instead of the operational theme of the characters. To this day, I thank God we had the epiphany early. By dealing with the unknown, beguiling, and generally spectacular, aliens, robots, vampires, alien robot vampires, sci-fi as a genre has the sneaky ability to fool otherwise extremely capable writers into believing that a nifty concept with a lot of unanswered questions is enough to carry a television series. It isn't. And I, th- I think that's like what Lost nailed, was the high concept is only worthy of characters that... Or it's high concepts. Can, I guess can work on their own, but it's very rare. And if a, high, a clever idea is only as clever as the characters that care about it, because then the audience cares. And I mean, it's certainly something we've talked about before. But it's it's something that Lost got, you know, over and over again. Was the reason you were awed by what was happening was because the characters were too. Um, so I'll, I'll uh, I think that's a good segue. I'll jump right into the um, Doc Jensen uh, article from uh, EW. Um, so quoting uh, from uh, Jensen here, the legacy of Lost is seen in shows that try to cultivate following and fervor, not so much by replicating its strategies, but by modulating them to minimize their risk. Few, if any, have produced Lost-level results. Heroes. Hatched as Lost was beginning to exasperate viewers, attracted eyeballs with high-speed plotting, but then realized it wasn't sustainable and flailed for better solutions. Fringe launched, running scared of serialization and mythology, and it stumbled. The precedent Lost seeded, or at least surely makes appealing, binge media like Netflix and the anthology format represented by True Detective and American Horror Story, single-season blasts of weird fiction, Big Saga TV thrives in the form of The Walking Dead and Game of Thrones, whose viewers don't have the same do-you-have-a-master-plan angst that Lost fans had. The series' Bibles are available at any bookstore near you. These are shows for a culture that frets bold, demanding storytelling as much as it craves and celebrates it. I thought that was... I thought the the pointing out Walking Dead and Game of Thrones as if you want to know what happens, you can go find out what happens is, yeah. is really, really fascinating. But also like the, the point of, of, um, I mean, I, I think, I think the, 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 the great point that he's making there is like so many shows ripped off lost in an attempt to be safe. Like, Oh, we'll have this crazy sci-fi premise and that that's kind of the safety net. That's why the show's going to work. But what was, what, why lost worked was there was no safety net. It was crazy. Anything could happen. It was uncharted territory. It was a huge risk. You had all these huge ensemble cast of characters, and some of them didn't speak English. And like, it took crazy risks for network television. And that was the thing. It was the it was the live wire element of it that made it fun to watch. It wasn't like the polar bear or whatever on the island. Yeah, one of the I'm not sure which of the articles it might have been Greenwald, but he points out that like Lost went from conception to production in 14 weeks. 
I mean, it, the original idea, it, you know, you know, when it started as something that was, uh, you know, just Survivor TV series, like it's yeah. longer than that. But I think from the moment it went into J.J. Abrams' hands to like shooting in Hawaii or something like that was like fourteen weeks. Like it's, it's I mean, un- it is a- and, and, and that's what part of what Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse, when they talk about, you know, the success of the show, was they there's there's a quote from Damon Lindelof in I think it was an Esquire piece where they were talking to them about the tenth anniversary. And the the interviewer asked, um, you know, did you guys ever purposely write yourself, you know, into a, you know, back yourselves into a corner? And Damon and Carlton was said, yeah, the idea was we'll climb up the wall, you know. And and Vince Gilligan talked about that all the time in Breaking Bad of back yourself into a corner and then figure it out. Yeah. Um, in the Esquire interview, um, they asked, like the the interview set of this really funny premise, which is I'm sure the. Damon and Carlton have heard a million times before, which was, I have to ask you the one question that's burning a, a hole uh, in my pocket since I've since I've watched Lost. And they're like, okay. And the question he has is, why, why is Saeed's fingernails so goddamn long in the first season of Lost? Which they are, when you look back, grotesquely long. Like, really? Disgustingly long. And once you see them, you don't want to look at his nails anymore. Wow. I'm glad I didn't know that because it would have made... Uh... Like the torture scenes uh, even more worse. I don't like people. They're extraordinarily men with, long. Men with long fingernails, uh, it's a thing I that like I, it. I don't like. Yeah. And their answer was that uh, they had asked him to uh, snip his fingernails because, hey, dude, it's gross. And he looked back at them blankly and said, I don't want you to take away one of the two passions I have in life. One of them is playing guitar and one of them is acting. Like dead serious – no, 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 like joking around. And they just said, okay. And I guess every night on production, when they'd be sitting around, he would just sit and play guitar for the entire crew. So like, they just left it. And then hmm. he clipped them later. But in the first season, or at least parts of the first season, his nails are just extraordinarily grotesquely long. I mean, they have finger picks. That's a thing you could have. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Well, let's talk about this episode. Um so maybe let's get the Boone story out of the way because everything else is more interesting. Um, so the Boone story is uh, – he's the main character. Uh, let's see. Um, so it starts off with uh, Shannon and uh, Saeed and she's um, really into his long fingernails and they're uh, kind of like kibitzing <laughs> on the beach and um, it just – Boone's being real creepy, just like staring at them like from from the yep. distance and then – he kind of like runs up to Saeed and he's like, "Hey, leave my sister alone!" Like a like a real like the turd that he is. And then, you although I will say about that that specific encounter, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Saeed is a character conflicted about his past, but man, will he turn on a dime to be evil Saeed if he thinks it benefits himself? Mm-hmm. So when Boone comes up to him and says, "Hey, stay away from my sister," at no point do you get Saeed going. Hey, I understand it's your sister. Like we're just chatting. Yeah, he goes. Sight immediately goes to. I'm gonna torture the fuck out of you. Well, he goes. Uh, I'm sorry, but for a moment it sounded like you were giving me an order. I know. Yeah. It was like, whoa, Sight, you just went like took the gas all the way up to like 60 miles an hour. Yeah. Um, I'm mean, no one came off good in that. No, scene. no. Um, and that's sort of an interesting thing about this episode is like maybe with. Mm, with the exception of like maybe Jin, like this is not a f- flattering episode for any character. Like no. all, the, it's actually an episode that's a lot about I think like taking the characters that you like and and really challenging you, pushing you to continue liking them after they do pretty shitty things. Yeah. Um, 
So let's see. In the um, well, with the exception of Boone and Shannon, who you don't like going in and really don't like uh, at the end. But uh, let's see. So Boone and Shannon and the flashback. Uh, Boone gets a call from Shannon that she's. It sounds like she's in a, like a domestic abuse situation. So he flies out to Australia. She says she's in Melbourne, right? And uh, Sydney. Sydney. That's it. And um, well, he shows. So what happens? He goes. He shows up at the house, and the boyfriend's there. And Shannon's like, "We're going out to see our friends. Like, come back later." And he comes back later. And well, the- she does a little kind of like brush of her hair to subtly reveal that it looks like she's got a bit of a shiner like on her, uh, oh, on her okay. head, right? Which is the subtle nod to to Boone, like, "Hey, now is not the time to to make a scene." Yep. So he then goes and confronts the boyfriend, I think, right before he comes back, and he says, "I'll give yeah. you fifty thousand dollars to." He says twenty five. Oh, and the guy talks him up to fifty. Right? Yeah. Yep, that's right. Uh, and he uh, uh, says, "I'll give you." Uh, he goes up to fifty and says, "I'll give you fifty thousand dollars to to leave Shannon alone." And he goes back to get Shannon. The boyfriend shows up. He realizes it's a setup, and Shannon had set him up to get the money, and this has happened repeatedly. Yeah, like yeah, he you know I can't tell. Like, was there really domestic abuse happening, or was it fake? I know it sounds like it was it was entirely fake. It, it, oh, the, I insin- see. the insinuation from the, the closing of that initial introduction of that story is that Boone has come to quote unquote save Shannon a number of times before because she constantly finds herself in right. a relationship. The third time I've paid a guy to leave you. Alone. There's a, well, yeah, there, there's a a scene where Boone goes to the cops before he. Oh, so Boone before he goes. And pays off the guy. He tries to report him to the cops. Oh, right, right. Tries to get him arrested. Um, and it's where uh, – I'll just spoil one of the pieces of trivia. But it's the first time we have characters interacting with one another in a flashback in an, in an off-island uh, scenario. So yeah. it's the first time Sawyer's being dragged through uh, the, the police department and they kind of make a, a little snide comment to, about him. Um and then Boone goes to the to the docks and, and decides to try and pitch this guy on money, which clearly he is like the CEO of some subsidiary of a wedding company that their parents own or something like that. But there's we also learned that they're did we know before that they were stepbrothers? They were stepsister? Uh yeah, I think so. Okay. I think they've they've I think they've mentioned that. Yeah. Either way, it's made explicit here and has like deep ramifications for some some stuff that yeah. happens in the rest of the episode. I don't know if they were going to do the the whole uh, incest plot. Like, just go all the just go with it, just roll with it. Is it making any better? I don't that think you can't. But, but, I yes, because I don't think you can get away with an incest plot on that on network television. That might, yeah, that may be true. It may be like a standards and decency thing. Like, I, I but think, it's it's extremely creepy, isn't it? Oh yeah, like, it, I mean, it's they, they, the way it's filmed. The scene too, is like, not sexy at all. It is yeah. a, Boone is clearly being taken advantage of, uh, and or you know, seduced, however you want to want to put it. Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly unnerving. And, yeah. Oh, the, I mean, we're jumping ahead, but the yeah. the way the light just flicks on and she's just kind of sitting there, and she's like, "Yep, yeah, I did that. Fuck yeah. you, fuck yeah. you, Boone, you piece yep. of shit. Get out of here." Ah. Oh. Yeah, neither of it really is not kind either of them. Well, so basically, like, uh, so what? Shannon like shows up drunk and seduces Boone, and they sleep together, and then he would they leave? Do they want to leave? They must leave Australia together. But do we see why? Well, she she says we're gonna leave. We're gonna go back. Oh home. right, and you'll tell. Yeah, you'll nothing tell, will happen. Yeah, you'll tell mom that I was you know did the same thing I always do, mm-hmm. and uh, we're gonna go back uh, to normal. It is uh, revealed uh, the reason that she's asking for the money, or at least that's what her. Uh, boyfriend says mm-hmm. is that when their father 
I guess Shannon's father yep. passed. Yep. Like all the money was left to uh, Boone's mother, um, and s- rather than being bequeathed to her, and it is insinuated that she is bitter about where the fortunes have gone. Um, and Boone is obviously in charge of the Roger Lara op- operation and has access to quite a lot of cash. So I'm not really sure if that's the whole story, um, but that is, it is certainly mentioned as though there are financial issues that have sort of plagued the family. Um, all right, so that's uh, off island, and then on island, uh, let's see. So Boone is out with uh, Locke, and uh, Locke uh, hits him with a stick, and when he wakes up, he's tied up to a tree. Well, we, we I mean, they, we, it's there's a re- there's, well, there's a reason why that I happens because Boone wants to tell oh, Shannon. Well, right. Boone wants to tell Shannon that right. what's going on, and right. and Locke. You know the reason this this episode is called like Hearts and Minds is because you know essentially Locke knows he can't win through just sheer force of argument, and rather than just telling Boone he can't tell Shannon about this, he tries an alternative method, a much slimier and like scummier way of doing it. But you know from Locke's perspective, the the right one to do, in which yeah he. Knocks him out, which causes a huge gash in the back of his head. He ties him up, puts a knife in front of him, and says, and then rubs like a some sort of drug on on the back of his head. It's like some weird, some weird goop. I didn't like the way that goop looked. It reminded me of Fire in the Sky, which is like not a movie I like to think about all that often. Have you seen Fire in the Sky before? No, never heard of it. Fire in the Sky is an alien abduction film that has an inc- a famous. Uh, abduction sequence that is incredibly disturbing and mm. grotesque and gave me nightmares. Mm. Anyway, that goo reminded me of it. So definitely not uh, something I have any interest in, but... Uh, nope. Nope. Go on. Um, so yeah, so then so then she, uh, we kind of cut away and uh, Boone wakes up and then a sort of like surreal experience begins. Yeah, so that's the part of the episode I think is this like really falls flat. It just like, drags so long. He so what is he like? Here's Shannon yelling, and he reach he pulls the knife out of the thing and cuts himself free and cuts Shannon free, and then they run around from the smoke monster and they like uh, they run like, from the smoke monster for like what feels like twenty minutes. Forever. Like yeah, it's it, it's like the the concept of the sequence of Boone being emotionally motivated to get out of his restraints because of Shannon Mm -hmm. and then Shannon dying at the hands of uh, the monster, whatever, whatever it is. And then like all that makes sense. The big turn is at the, at the end when he's telling Locke about it and Locke shows him that Shannon's alive. Right. He says, I felt relieved when it just, it just, it, we, it's an an hour long episode that felt like it only needed 30 minutes to accomplish what it wanted to. I completely agree. So part of the the re- and so one thing is I remember in my imagination I actually so th- this is actually like despite that this horrible a plot I actually think it's a pretty solid episode because mm-hmm. of all of the other things that happen so we'll talk about them in a second but notably like the compass a plot which is really cool and the or the compass b plot I mean and the uh, uh, Hurley Jack uh, a Jin uh, uh, subplot um, yeah. which is also great. Um, and Sun gets some nice scenes. Sun and Kate get some nice scenes too. But that, those were almost good enough to like redeem the episode to me. Yeah. And it's interesting because in my memory, I never remember anything else happening in this episode. I only just remember the stupid scenes of Boone running away from the smoke monster forever. I think it's just like the reason I was trying to think like why were those like blown out in my imagination to be like the whole episode to the point where I forgot everything else. And I think 
Like I remember very clearly that this episode, this episode played into my worst fears about lost of that. It was, you know, Oh, it's all a dream. It's all a hallucination. Like, you know, I, I just so didn't want that to be the case when I was watching it. And this episode started to make me worry like, Oh, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe it turns out everyone is tripping or, see, yep. you know, dreaming or see it's purgatory. One of these things that you, you, know, you really want to invest. You don't want it to be fake. Cause that kind of yeah. lets all the air out of it. Um, I don't know. That was, that was my read on it. Um, but I do, I do like all, all the character moments in this episode that aren't, you know, even if you, if you distill the moments between Locke and Boone, they're, uh-huh. they're really great. Yeah. It's just, it's just, they just drag it out too it's far, a- but the revelation that Boone comes to like is important for that character sets up a lot of what's happen going to happen in the coming episodes. Um, and really, completely colors your perspective on Locke, who is a character they have gone out of their way to take from someone pathetic and who has no power over his own life to someone who is like masculine and an action hero and is taking charge and is hunting boar and is a leader. Everything he's not on this island. And he's yep. smart and he's charming and he's capable. And then, but when he gets fixated on this hatch, when he gets fixated on getting in there, He'll go to any lengths in order to get Boone on his side, like despicable lengths. Yeah, it's Boone really. I think side. I think this is a good lock episode because it's um it's really challenging you to like Locke after he does some pretty shitty things, and it's showing a real darkness to his character. Um, that I don't I don't know. I guess I didn't remember that. I mean, that's not part of my my mental history of Locke. I don't remember these dark moments. I remember the cool moments of Locke. Yeah, I remember when he says it's going to rain in you know about one minute, not when he <laughs> knocks out Boone and it's yeah. really dark and creepy. Um, all right, so let's see. Well, the B plot the main one involves Hurley. Uh, he's uh, got diarrhea because he's just eating a lot of fruit, and he goes to Jack, and Jack says to get some protein. So he goes fishing with Jen, and it leads to ah, it's probably it's, I'm gonna say one of the funniest moments of all of Lost. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, in ter- like the humorous moments, yeah. easily top five. Yep, like, easily top five. Uh, where he starts, he's, he steps on the sea urchin, and uh, uh, do you wanna do you wanna recreate the scene <laughs> it's, for us? It's, it's like well, like it starts off great with where like, it, there's this tension between Hurley and Jen because mm-hmm. Hurley believes that Jen hates him, and. Then when he steps on the sea urchin, and then Jin has to go and help him. Mm-hmm. Like like Hurley is like just he refuses to cooperate with like leaning on Jin. So they fall into the water together, and they get over there. And of course, Hurley's first reaction is you got to pee on it. Mm-hmm. You got to pee on it, and not just like requesting he pees on it, but like trying to pull Jin's pants off and getting him to, <laughs> to like. And I'm just trying to imagine this from Jin's perspective. Yeah. Like he doesn't speak English. Like he's right. not like his wife who's lying. And there's just this heavy set man who's just just grabbing at his crotch like oh just so funny just was like really laughing my ass off in probably the funniest bit it doesn't help you if you step on a sea urchin at all by the way that's for a jellyfish or something i think so i would but that very much in line with hurley's character to just go full full bore for it yeah oh too Um, funny and then uh, the other uh, B story, the other kind of notable B story is Saeed working on the compass. So he builds the compass and he has that great uh, piece of dialogue with Locke where they're talking about Locke hasn't seen one of these since Boy Scouts. And then kind of cryptic, Locke uh, gives um, his compass to Saeed and says, I don't need it anymore. 
Well, he says, I don't need it anymore. And then there's the other cryptic line when he meets up with Jack. And uh, Side basically wants to run what he's found by Jack to just establish that he's not crazy. And he uh-huh. ha- he asks Jack, you know, where, you know, can you point out the cardinal direction for me? They figure out where the sun's setting. Okay, that's west. Okay, no, well, this would be north. And Side says, yeah, that would definitely be north. But here, look at this compass. And the compass is, I don't know, t- 10, like 12 degrees off or something like that. And Said says, uh, you know, if there was a magnetic anomaly or something along those lines, then, you know, there would be off by one or two degrees, but not by this much. And Jack kind of puzzles at him and says, well, that's odd. He goes, yeah, clearly this compass is broken. Mm-hmm. Um which, you know, they, they kind of let that line but the compass, sit he, out there. The compass that he built wasn't working either. Right. Yeah, they, they seem to be establishing evidence that things, things are weird on, yeah. on this island, which, go figure. Yeah. Things are weird on this island. Um, and obviously, we, we, in, we also with Kate and Son, we are getting, oh, right, so, said- much, we are getting so much closer to the, uh, the inevitable Son is going to be found out by Jin. Like, we get... Like it is so clear that that arc is coming, that that car- that confrontation is coming. But uh, you know, it's 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 nice that they're part of what I like about the show is that not only do they commit to a character who does not speak English and give him significant screen time and character development, but they find well, I guess it's that it's that second part. It's the, they they're giving character development to a character that they don't even give subtitles to. Like, yeah, you're learning about Jin and who he is. And they don't even give you any sense of what he's saying, which is like is in even in 2014 is crazy to imagine that they are not letting you know what he's saying or what he's thinking at all. Like all we get is what Sun says what he's saying. We don't actually get the show informing us. And I I don't I just it still blows my mind when I look at those scenes and go they staged these in a way and wrote them in a way that I, I still feel like I'm learning about Jin without him saying anything. Which I think is really yeah, impressive. and Jin Jin has good character movement in this episode. Like you, you kind of he's very emotive. He gets some good gets some good uh, um, uh, he gets some good redemption in this episode. For yeah, he, coming, squa- for he squashes whatever Hurley. beef like yeah. Hurley thinks the two of them have, and yeah, brings Hurley the 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 the, the clean fish. Yeah, um, still wearing the handcuffs too. I love that that they. Well, I guess there's no. no I don't know how you get, get him off. off. Yeah, yeah, but. Uh, I just that's just very emblematic of Lost of like that they're that they were they care about that detail and they keep them. Yeah, in a lesser show, on. you could imagine they just have them stop wearing it and they just kind of hand wave it away as oh they I don't know they figured it out. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Do we do you want to do some trivia? Do we sure. have any trivia that's not spoiler trivia? Uh, we have one piece of trivia that's kind of spoiler, but it's not that interesting. So I think we'll 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 skip it. I uh. There's well, there's two. I don't know. There, right, there, we're, 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 okay, we'll save for the, the end. We're an hour, so let's do. Let's uh, close out and we'll. Well, hold on. There, are, there is some other trivia. So, oh, uh, oh okay. Uh, this, so this is, so the Hurley Bird can be heard for the first time, I believe, in the show uh, before uh, the the monster attacks Boone and Shannon. Are you aware I of the Hurley Bird? Yeah, I don't. This isn't a huge spoiler to say. Like later in the show, there's a bird that Hurley hears. So, so there's. What this comes from is that one of the fan theories uh, early on became that there was a bird in the show that was shouting Hurley. And so the bird that people started associating with that before it became a nod from the creators in which they explicitly had a bird say that fairly clearly 
uh, is is kind of started in this, in this episode. Um, in the audio commentary on the DVD, it is stated that the two compass scenes weren't in the original script. They were added because the episode's length was short. So this was an episode that we already felt was padded. Unfortunately, you know, weirdly, the scenes that they added were the ones that were some of my favorites as opposed to, you know, the scenes that went too long that I would have probably been okay with them cutting back on. Right. Yeah, and that's that's the I mean, going back to the to all the the articles that we were talking about of like that is the strength of having all of that great like through line of of the cool sci-fi stuff and the cool mysteries is like you can even in a slow week you can generate a little bit of interest and a little bit of tension <laughs> yeah. especially early like on working you can just throw in. in some bullshit like yeah. you know it's, <laughs> yeah like anything will quite ooh, will compass, kind of fit. compass isn't working yeah like, ooh. um hearts and minds uh was also the name of an episode of the outer limits the show originally aired on abc um and like this episode the outer limits episode uh Involved hallucinations. Uh, cut from the script. The script called for a scene in which Boone and Shannon emerged from the banyan trees <laughs> and looked upon uh, the monster's wide path of destruction through the trees. Hmm. Um, you also sort of get in this episode, hard to tell it because it's a hallucination. So hmm. is it what Boone imagines the creature to be or is it what the creature actually is? But they establish a real sense of scale with like some of the shots that have the creature kind of hovering. They they make it seem like it's a, like a head that's kind of like bobbing around uh, like a T-Rex type thing. Yeah. There's some of the only crane Lost doesn't use crane shots. Famously sticks out. I think it looks odd. A couple yeah. of times that you well, when they when they so Lost doesn't use crane shots because part of the way that it's shot, it's meant to show you the disorientation of the characters of of they can only see what they can see. Like you're yeah. not supposed to get a lot of establishing shots as the viewer. Um, you never see like a big you know helicopter shot like looking down on them on the island or something. And later in the first season, there's a very 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 famous sort of iconic shot. Um, you know the one I'm thinking of at the end of an episode. Come on, it's the one that we both like a lot about a character that we both like. Music, there's the music and the oh, the white light. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah yeah. 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 So that's one of the only uses of a crane shot that like pans way out. Oh yeah. Okay. I, yeah yeah, yeah. You, Oh you, god. Yeah. That's one of the best shots. And when in the you show. do when you do see that, you just have this moment of of like holy shit. Like it's just so different than what you see in Lost. So, yeah, I mean, they're using those crane shots to give you the monster's perspective very, 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 very sparingly. You also see that in the third episode in the lock one where he looks up and he makes eye contact with the monster. And you see the camera as the monster looking back down at Lost. Pretty Mm. kind of clever filmmaking to not show you the monster but give you a sense of its scale. Um, All right, so let's not do – I don't think we have a spoiler chat this week. I think we should save these and and we'll work them into the next spoiler chat. That's fine. Um, Let's see. Next week, we're watching Special, uh, episode 13 of Lost. It's our first Michael slash Walt episode. Uh, pretty good, creepy, spooky episode. I kind of like this one. Is the one with the birds? This one? I believe so. Okay. I, I don't remember. So. I, th- that's one of the things I'm noticing every time that we get to thinking about the next episode. Like, I don't remember anything that happened. <laughs> I think that's Which it. is really exciting. Like, that you, makes me psyched. You'll, you'll learn a little bit about Walt's, uh, specifically about Walt's backstory in a pretty cool way and about Michael's backstory, and it starts to add a little bit of depth to Michael's uh, character. He hasn't he really... He's been a little one-note. Yeah, and he hasn't gotten a ton I'm of screen time. I'm a bad father. Yeah. He hasn't gotten a ton of screen time, so th- this is cool because it brings out one of those, um, you know, B-list characters and, and moves them into the main cast. Um, as always, the show notes for this episode, including all three of the articles we discussed, are available at rewatchpodcast.com. 
You can email us your questions or comments at rewatchpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, as always, to Steve Fobwash Kim for artwork. Thanks to Dose One for our theme music. You can check out his work, including his ringtone of the month, at dose1.bandchamp.com. Patrick, what follow-up do we want from Drew next week? Drew, write us back. Uh, um, Tell us. What do you, okay, how about, what do you think's up, or no, what do you think's inside that hatch? Oh, did, he might not already know, though. He might know. Okay, how if, about this? If, okay, if, if you can't answer what's inside the hatch, um, is, the, is the compass too lame? Is that? Well, to, I'm curious about that, too. All right, Drew, tell us about what's going on with the compasses and what's in what's that hatch. What's up with hatch. the island? What's going on with this island? Give us the whole theory. I mean, well, we got to save some Drew follow-up for, for subsequent weeks. But just think about it. Okay. Think with the Drew Stew on it. Let us know what you think. We'll All be right. back with Drew follow up. <laughs> Trying to establish <laughs> theme. Oh, God. See you next week.